When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Only Stupid Answers. My name is DJ Wildridge, and with me today is our special guest, Daniel Warren Johnson. Daniel, uh, say hey to everybody and let them know uh, where they might where they might know you from. Oh, hello, everybody. You may know me from. Oh boy, uh, let's see. We've got some books that I've worked on. I've written and drawn. Just a few. Just a few. Just a few. Just extremity. a few. I should just list all the. You know, I'll just just list all the books that like. Uh, nobody knows me for Eve Online, True Stories, a 16 pager, uh, <laughs> Alabaster, The Good, the Bad, and the Bird. Uh, what else? What else have I done? Those are like the two like smallest projects I've worked on. I, let's see. Now, so, we normally we get into what we're into, but now I, you, I already have questions. How many of those things? Because for people, that the stuff that they might know you from is uh, Extremity and Murder Falcon and Wonder Woman Dead Earth. But but how many of those uh, things that nobody knows about are there before you get to the things that people know about? Man, the, well, my first like actual paid gig in comics was uh, that Eve Online True Stories book that Daniel Way wrote. Wow. Yeah, it was just like due to us like 16 pages of um, and like I had to I would they sent me like gigabytes of ship designs. Oh, dang. like and like, you know, like, I don't know if anybody knows about the Eve Online world, but like the ships are they do not fit in a comic panel very well. They're <laughs> like awkwardly shaped. Like there's this one ship that's like it's basically like a pencil that you, you know, just moves around like this, you know, instead of it being like, you know, this, it's like this long ship. It just doesn't fit in any panels well. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh that was a real challenge. And I it ended up being I had to like go on a deep dive on the internet to find like alternate ways to like see how these ships actually looked. Mm-hmm. So I found an Eve online website that was like a fan website that pe- uh, fans had made turnarounds of the ships that you could spin around on, in a browser. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so now the, it was called Eve online, true stories. And yeah. I, I cannot claim to be an Eve online expert, but how true were the stories? Well, that's the thing. They were like, they were these stories that had happened in like real time. Okay. Where like they, they were actual events that like the players had interacted with over the years that were, I guess, famous events in the world. Gotcha. In the game, in the history of the gameplay. And, um, you know, it was, you know, it was a, it was a tough project. <laughs> I bet. I bet. I believe it. So before we dive any more into that, uh, Tell me a little bit about what you're into this week. If you've watched something or or listened to something you might be into. Man, let's see. Uh, I've been, uh, well, I've been watching a lot of like new Japan pro wrestling. Nice. Uh, Because of the pandemic, uh, a lot of like, I'm a big wrestling fan, especially uh, Japanese wrestling. And uh, because of the pandemic, a lot of the wrestlers that wrestle in Japan that live in the States or in other countries Oh, hey, Dad. That's my dad. Everybody say hi to Daniel's dad. They're saying hi in the chat. Hey. hey. Um, so, like, a lot of, like, uh, a lot of wrestlers in that would usually wrestle in Japan, they're stuck in the States or wherever else. So, uh, New Japan started this little, like, hour-long, basically, like, uh, special called New Japan Strong. And it has all of the American wrestlers and all the, like, foreign wrestlers to Japan uh wrestling in LA uh and it's really great and it's really fun so I was I've been watching that and um I've been listening to a lot of Allison Krauss lately nice <laughs> it's very soothing and then I've been playing a lot of Magic the Gathering arena like on my computer um I've been doing like draft I'm pretty big into magic I'm not good at it but uh that's what I'm doing. So going back to um, the Japanese wrestling, what is the appeal of, because I, I am not a wrestling, I didn't grow up with it, I didn't watch it, um, but I love talking to people that are into it because the passion runs deep. Um, what is the appeal of Japanese wrestling over uh, U.S. wrestling? Uh, 
Well, uh, so I guess it's, it's mostly about presentation. Um, so I did not really grow up with wrestling either because I wasn't allowed to watch it growing nice. up. Uh, thanks, Dad. <laughs> no problem. Uh, yeah, you, you guys are getting some prime content here. Me, me uh, wrestling with words over my dad. Um, but uh, I just I was never exposed that much to it growing up. So I missed like the glory days of like the Attitude Era in the 90s in the States and things like that. So when I first started getting into wrestling, it was through New Japan. I, that was like the first wrestling that I was really exposed to. Got it. And I really loved it because it was it just was really fun to watch. And then I tried going back and like watching WWE and I was like, what is this? Uh, it's just a completely different presentation and attitude. So uh, in Japan, it's a little bit more, the presentation is more, it's like an actual sport. So there are like wrestling gotcha. shenanigans, but there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of like drama outside the ring. It's mostly like all based, all the storytelling is really actually based in the ring. Got it. Uh, whereas in the, the States, you might have like really quality wrestling, but a lot of the storylines are maybe a little bit more uh, theatrical. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, neither are like, it's not like good or bad on either side. I prefer the Japanese way of like it being presented, like more like a sport. Got it. Uh, Cause the suspension of disbelief is a little easier to achieve. Um, but then, you know, you can, you, you also like, you get into a different mindset when you watch like American wrestling, because it's just, the approach is different in a fun way. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the two biggest differences. And, you know, obviously there's cultural stuff, but, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I think I'll always love like new Japan pro wrestling first, but like AEW, I'm a huge fan of. And a lot of the, the only reason I'm into AEW is because a bunch of wrestlers from Japan started AEW. Yeah. Uh, they were big in Japan and then they came over to the States and they started their own show. So Very cool. that's why I followed them over there. So um, the other thing you mentioned was uh, uh, Magic Gathering Arena. And again, Magic Gathering is something that I grew up with people that were into it. But, uh, but I think s- similar to you in wrestling, I was not allowed to play it as a kid. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I didn't, I didn't grow up with it. So um, is, is Arena uh, a version of it that you can play online? Yes. So okay. uh, I used to play in a, like a comic book store or a game store for yes. a long time. And then my daughter was born in 2018 congrats early 2018 congrats thank you i had to start like cutting out like um uh fun things in my life to like make room (laughs) for baby and then uh, i started like dabbling back into it and going to comic book stores again right as the pandemic happened so uh i was kind of starved for like some like a bit of an escape that wasn't comic books um so uh yeah, Magic it used to be just Magic the Gathering online, uh-huh. uh, which was the interface was like pretty difficult to navigate. Okay. Um, and then Arena has been available, uh, and it's basically just Magic the Gathering, but being able to play it online with other people. Great. And that was only available on PC for like the longest time. Oh, geez. And I have a Mac. So, uh, same. Uh, yeah, so like. Uh, right before the pandemic started, they released it for Mac. So great, good timing. Yeah. So, it still crashes all the time because great. you know Mac and gaming is just not a good mix. But what are you gonna do? Yeah, we tried briefly to do some stuff with um, uh, Twitch on on my Mac, and it just was a hassle. It was a, it was a pain. <laughs> yeah. So from comparing Magic the Arena to Magic Online, I would assume the collectible aspect is at best different or non-existent like what, what are the what are kind of the differences well i really like how it's uh you know wizards of the coast has kind of like it's forced them to streamline the gaming process so you're thinking about it in a way that the developers like actually wanted you to play um because getting across is we're going deep nerd here but like please uh, go there un- untap phase draw phase yeah first main phase combat phase second main phase like those are the portions of a person's turn yeah um and to get that across to a new person to a, a new player is kind of challenging yeah um so i like how arena breaks it down for you and they cool. like they label it like as each turn section happens it's like first main combat uh second main and things like that so i would almost like say it would be better for like a beginner to play arena before they actually like buy cards makes sense um, yeah, that makes but, sense because uh, I know yeah. I know like I um you know I grew up more playing uh uh Pokemon which was also Wizards of the Coast. 
Um, and it's I haven't, great game. I haven't checked it out in years, but it's the same thing. Whenever you look back on it, it's like when you were, when I was younger and they started, you know, it was relatively simple, but now it's just kept building off that formula, um, to where, you know, similar to some, some comics with the mythology can be kind of impenetrable. So it's good to have like, Hey, here's an easy way to, uh, get in there and kind of understand the basics before you dive into the cards. Do you have like old binders full of your magic cards? I do. So I started playing in the in the 90s. My buddy Richard, uh, who was uh, I was homeschooled. Oh, hey, and, same uh, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. How long? Uh, so from uh, middle school to through high school. Okay, yeah. I was I was homeschooled uh, third grade through high school. There you go. Similar. Yeah. Yeah. So like uh, the only way that I was really able to interact with kids was like we had these homeschooling groups yep. where mm-hmm. like we kind of like some parents would teach maybe a science class or whatever. Yep. And I met I met this uh, kid uh, Richard. We were the same age, awesome guy, uh, and he had magic cards with him. And I didn't know what they were, but the pictures were so cool. And yeah. I was into art at that time, like like big time. And you know, because of like you know, I wasn't able to like watch wrestling and things like that, mm-hmm. like fantasy art, like that incredible fantasy art of like the late '80s and early '90s. Like I just missed out on. Yeah. Um, but I got to see it through these like little magic card pieces of art and i just thought they looked so cool yeah and i was mostly drawn to the art honestly and then the game second but then i as my buddy richard like was teaching me how to play and he'd crush me every time but i was like oh i got to play this one cool cat creature mm-hmm. <laughs> i similar um, with uh with playing pokemon like you like this way you know my favorite's Growlithe. it's like well Growlithe sucks yeah. it's like yeah but it's my favorite though <laughs> he looks cool i made a scyther deck just because i liked scyther because so he looks cool I just got destroyed yep. yeah um, and who's the guy with the pincers? Pincer. No? Okay. Yeah, that Pinsir, was it. Yeah, pincer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of those early like Pokemon, that. the names weren't that complex. I just got so frustrated playing Pokemon because, like, you try and evolve your Pokemon, yep. and the Pokemon would keep dying. Yeah. Before you could evolve them, uh-huh. and I'm like, this is like, this is so lame. Yeah. So I was like, I'm just gonna play pincer only. Boom. He's the one because you don't <laughs> have to worry about it. You don't have to worry about it. They don't have to worry about evolving when they're good to go. Uh, yeah. So. Well, now I got to ask you, so like you're homeschooling, you, uh, you have a daughter, you said a daughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So have you, I, obviously you're kind of a, a little bit away from figuring out the whole schooling thing, um, which is probably good for right this second. Um, mm-hmm. have you, do you plan on, cause it's a, it's a conversation my wife and I have about like, do you want to homeschool or do you want to? Mm. And I think for me, it's more like, nah, because I think the grass is always greener. You're like, oh, all the things I missed out on. You know what I mean? Um, so I think it's it, that is what informs me more. But what about you? Have you have you thought about like homeschooling, not homeschooling? Yeah, we have thought about it. You know, I, my mom took most of the homeschooling duties. So Same. and it was a lot of work. And I am one of three boys. Wow. So, and she homeschooled all of us at a certain point. Um, and then we all, like my middle brother went to high school and then my youngest brother ended up going to middle school, Yeah. but I was the longest stretch. Um, so it, I know how much work it is cause I saw my mom go through it Yeah. and I don't want to do that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I don't, ex- I don't expect my wife to do it. So, um, I think if we had the time or the energy, I think I would like to do that. Cause I, I like the idea of like, uh, you know, I'm not like a, I'm not like a crazy, like conservative homeschool person or anything like yeah, that. Yeah. I just like the, I like the idea of being able to like really navigate, like, and kind of guide my daughter in a way that I don't know, I'd have a little more control over. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I don't know how realistic that is. Yeah. Mostly I, I, I was a teacher for a while in the public school system mm-hmm. And I just, you see the mentality of teachers and there's a lot of great teachers out there, but yeah. I, you get to see like, once you're behind the curtain, you're like, do I want to send my daughter here? Yeah, I bet. Yeah. I, I that doesn't surprise I'm me. I'm not, at all. I'm not anti-public school. Yes. At all. I just, you know, well, you I see think, the inner workings and you're like, oh. well, I think with a lot of institutions, um, you know, and I, I think this is on the mind of a lot of people right now. It's, it's when they're not properly supported. Uh, or you know what I mean? Like it's it's and unfortunately our school system is is just not it's just not as supported as much as it should be considering how important education is. So I imagine it's the you know it's that's a kind of a trickle down. Like it's tough on the teachers, and so then it's tough for the teachers to adequately you know help their students and stuff like that. So yeah, it's 
it's tough. I'm similar. Similarly, it's like there's there is appeal to it. But again, like you were saying with me, my mom also did a majority of the homeschooling. It's like so much work. And I don't, like you said, I don't want to do it. I don't want to put my wife through that. Uh, It's tough. It's a, it's a tough one. Hopefully, hopefully by the time you get there, you know, maybe some things will be, uh, this school systems will be better supported or something. I don't know. Hope springs eternal. Who knows? Who knows what 2021 will bring? I know. We'll figure it out somehow. We'll figure it um, out. But uh, I am thankful that she's that she's preschool. Uh, she's not quite a school age yet. So yeah, it's. I've got a few friends that whose whose kids are school age, and I can't. I just I can't imagine. And then they do stuff like similar work to like what I do. It's like I don't know. I don't know how. I just don't know how. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, granted, you work from home essentially, but whatever. Anyway, we don't, n- enough of that. Uh, uh, our audience doesn't tune in for homeschool talk. Um, <laughs> uh, it's just rare that I run into somebody that was also homeschooled. Um, let's talk about um, your work in comics. So you mentioned a little bit with the Magic Gathering cards, how the art is what attracted to you. Obviously, mm-hmm. I think you, it, it, there's probably not a, a key memory like, this was the moment I decided I wanted to be an artist. But do you kind of have an earliest memory of of art speaking to you and wanting to get involved in that more directly and create your own art? Mm. It definitely had something to do with my public library growing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is like before graphic novels were really a thing or like compiled stories. Uh, I remember at my grandparents' place in upstate New York, they had like a really thick uh Bind a uh, thick like uh, hardcover book of um, some of the old old Batman comics. Yeah, um, not like the like some like they had like a reprint of like the very first Batman comic. Yeah, I think it was, was it Detective Comics. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I don't and remember then, which like, one. Somebody's gonna call me out on that, but I don't, I don't remember yeah. which one. Superman's easy. Action Comics number one done. <laughs> uh, so they had that issue in there, and then they they had like a bit of like the evolution of Batman through the years leading up to like the longer ears, yep. the longer bad ears. Um, and I was obsessed with that. And they had uh, Dick Tracy yeah. uh, cartoon strips that were really intense. Like <laughs> terrible things happened to people yep. in, those, in, the, in those comic strips. So I read that a lot. And then I was starting to see things like uh, collected uh, editions of like Tintin. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is it Asterix? Am I saying that right? Oh, yeah, I think so. I think so, yeah. Yeah. But you know what I'm talking yes. about. And then uh, Batman Year One showed up on the shelves mm-hmm. of my library and Dark Knight Returns and uh, Calvin and Hobbes. Because yeah. before there was any of like the Batman stuff or even Tintin, they had the newspaper strip comics that I just devoured. Yeah. And it was Calvin and Hobbes with just the dynamics of the artwork that mm-hmm. really drew me in. And I remember not even I remember never trying to draw like Bill Watterson, but but that being huge, huge influence on me. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, especially with like motion now mm-hmm. and like drawing motion and action and stretching uh, shapes and you know characters to fit the narrative or to fit the storytelling is something that has always stuck with me. So that and then also like Power Rangers and Transformers growing up was yeah. a huge. I remember drawing Power Rangers like. In first grade like nobody's business yep uh um, a similar yeah. boat yeah power rangers power rangers transformers ninja turtles uh uh very influential at what point you going from a fan and a consumer at what point were you kind of like oh i kind of want to do this as my as, as a job essentially i remember in high school you know what thinking like if i could do anything uh it would be uh it would be to like draw maybe concept art or actually in high school, I had no concept even of like that. There was this thing like concept art. Yeah. Um, it wasn't until like I started seeing, this is like late high school. I started seeing like the art of Lord of the Rings by like mm-hmm. Alan Howe and, and Alan Lee, sorry, the Howe and Lee, mm-hmm. these two, the two big, the two big uh, fantasy artists for Lord of the Rings. Yeah. 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 And seeing like the, them doing the behind the scenes stuff on the documentary uh, Lord of the Rings DVDs, yeah, that, that got me really excited. And thinking that, oh man, I could maybe I could like do this for a job. And I remember, I don't know when was it, Dad? When did you give me the spaceship talk? Uh, that was probably in early high school. Oh, okay, early high school. Okay, my dad, like we were talking about possible avenues of like income and mm-hmm. life and work 
and stuff. And my dad was like, you know, it's really cool to have it as like a hobby, but you can't really make a living drawing spaceships. And I was like, yeah, I guess you're right. You know, like, and it wasn't like a, like, you can't achieve your dreams. It was just like, you got to be realistic. Yep. And then uh, my first comic gig in 2013 was Eve Online, true stories, drawing spaceships. Spaceships, boom. <laughs> spaceships that for some reason just couldn't quite fit into the format. Just kind of yeah, were, well, were shaped wrong. I wasn't doing it as mad. That was the issue. You know, it wasn't like I just wandered into the room and issued that statement. No, I know that. My dad's my dad is uh, defending himself yes. here. I, I, I'm not, I promise that I'm not casting you in a, in a uh, unseemly light. Yes, no aspersions uh, have been cast. It was really good eat my hat moment because Dan has done so well and he I think he actually called me and said hey dad guess what I'm doing I'm doing a commission of an x-wing fighter and I'm getting paid x amount of money and I was like all right you really can draw a li- you make a living drawing spaceship yep I think I think I sent him a screenshot of the check I got from Dark Horse you know with the yeah, official yeah, horse yeah. on the corner you know yep perfect um, that's a that's yeah. a that's a perfect comeback moment you so I want to jump back a little bit you talked a little bit about um, uh, Bill Watterson and talking about motion and something I really admire about your work is I'm hard pressed to think of an artist working today that is as good at, at f- not, I, I guess I want to say frame your action. Your the, the, your work is so kinetic and it is so mm. visceral. Um, Thank you. and you can really feel it. I, I feel like this, what is the, what, how do you accomplish that? What is for you? What is your method that is able to help create that feeling of momentum and movement? It's a great question. Um, I think so. I so when I uh, kind of like it actually kind of ties into the, what we were talking about earlier with like thinking about whether I could actually do this for a job. So I was yeah. a teacher for a while because I went to college to become an art teacher and I just really disliked it. <laughs> and one of the reasons that I, uh, uh, you know, was okay or like I just kind of was ap- apathetically what's the word i was just kind of going through the motions of like okay well i have to have a job and something it might as well be art related i'll do art teaching and i was reading comics but i i was not really seeing comics being published that were doing what got me excited or i thought that those comics would uh, that kind of art style that would get me excited something that you might see in manga yeah i did not really see it happening in the in american comics this is like 2010s early 2010s yeah. it's like 2010 2011 2012 um and then uh as when i was teaching i saw or i read uh james heron's bprd the long death that like three issue miniseries yeah yeah yeah. and uh i saw what he was doing uh and uh, i was like whoa this guy's getting published mm-hmm. and he's making art that's getting me excited makes me want to draw if this is publishable uh, I want to make comics. Yeah. <laughs> like I want to do this. Like I want to, yeah. I want to get back into it. And I was still drawing in my sketchbook and stuff, but I was really getting ground down by the teaching stuff. Yeah. Um, so, but I got to give, I got to give credit to James because without James, I, I wouldn't be doing, I wouldn't be doing comics, honestly, like yeah. Calvin and Hobbes, uh, you know, all this uh, manga and anime that I took in, but it wasn't until I saw the lines of James yeah. that uh sorry james he's gonna hear this and be embarrassed <laughs> but you know it's it's just the truth yeah uh, and so i saw what he was doing and i was like man i wanna i wanna make comics and so i saw how james was taking the page and making it exciting yeah to read and i just started rolling with it and i like i started making comics and i was working on space mullet in 2012 yeah and i was trying to get I was trying to achieve that kinetic action and it wasn't just James. Like I was seeing, I was seeing like James is like one of the evolutions of like what you see before, like Bill Waterson and uh, Tomo and all this stuff. And I was trying to like channel all of that and make my own thing. Um, And, you know, I was one thing I found like, you know, as I was drawing and like, I wouldn't, I'm not, I wasn't chasing after James anyway, but I was just like, he was a huge inspiration to me. Yeah. But one thing I found, especially as I got to know him and learn about his process, is he like spends a lot of time at the comic book page, mm-hmm. more time than I uh, have patience for. <laughs> so I am a scribbler and I've always been, I've always rushed. That's just been me as an artist. I get too impatient with things. And if I fuss over them too much, they look too overworked to me. Yeah. And then I get very frustrated. So 
I started veering more to in the vein of like Bill Watterson with just the almost gestural element of line line art, things like that. Yeah. So all of that has kind of, and then I also started like really going back and investigating like the greats of manga. So mm-hmm. uh, Otomo and especially uh, Masamune Shiro from Appleseed yeah. and uh, Ghost in the Shell, but Appleseed is my favorite. Uh, and you see like just the way he's composing a panel and it looks so impactful and cool. And this is just people walking in a room and mm-hmm. I was like, how, why does that look so awesome? Like what it looked started like really focusing on like background elements and like how to create a, uh, like a three point perspective grid and yeah. basically warp math to make it look better mm-hmm. or not better, but like to bring out the, that dynamics. So I'll, you know, I mentioned James specifically, but there's been so many artists that have helped me along my journey to get there. And uh, also like just figuring out composition. I'm watching a lot of action movies and hitting yeah. pause mm-hmm. when something like when you, when, you know, when you see like an action movie and somebody gets hit and you're like, Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Get like, Why does that? And then I was like, I need to study this and examine like, what is it about this that makes me go? Oh, and a lot of times it was just a simple addition of like, a prop yeah. or like, you know, not just getting hit into the ground, but getting hit through a door, hitting hit through like a table. I don't know. Stuff like that where it's like, they're little simple things that sometimes you just don't think about because you're in the moment and you're in the tunnel and you're just going, going, going. Yeah. But the more trying to be more intentional with the way that I set up my scenes and, uh, and composition. So absolutely. So there's a, that's a long answer. It's a long, it's a big question. Yeah. You know, I I figured it'd be a little bit, cause it's always hard to talk about method kind of. Um, and I think a lot of people like when you talk about you being a scribbler or whatever, I think they're, they're, uh, looking at your work. Um, it's, uh, there's something about it that feels very organic. And I think like, well, like a lot of people, uh, my age, when I was in college, I was in an improv group fantastic choice on my part um but something that you don't think about is is something that feels kind of like you didn't put a lot of thought into it or or doesn't feel intentional people don't realize the amount of work or the amount of information when you're talking about like pausing action scenes and stuff like that the amount of like research that goes into making something feel effortless or or appear effortless um but going back to you know you you were a teacher um uh, you were reading that James Heron and you got into, you started trying to pursue that and, and was the next step space mullet. And then how did that go from doing that into having a professional career? Mm. Yeah. So it was mostly uh, a lot of credit goes to my wife, Rachel. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, uh, so she was, uh, sorry, I'm like gathering like all the history. Of yeah. 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 It's, okay. Down, right. So uh, we got engaged November 2011, and we got married March 2012, and that was the year that I was teaching. And uh, once Rachel moved in with me, she's like, oh, this teaching thing is really running you dry. Yeah. You should quit. <laughs> I was like, oh, I can't quit. I need to provide for my family. She's like, that's a bunch of hogwash. You, uh, you're miserable, and I don't want to be around you when you're miserable. So mm-hmm. uh, we had a little bit of money saved up from the wedding. Thank you, grandma and grandpa. Uh-huh. Um, and so we had a little tiny bit of savings. And so Rachel was like, why don't you just quit and then see if you can make money and see if you can pay the rent. And then all she had a job where she was like, she's like, I'll take care of everything else with my job. If you can make, make rent, you have three months to make rent with art. And I was like, maybe I should get like a job at Starbucks to supplement. She's like, yeah. no, 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 just art only. And so with the terror of teaching behind me and mm-hmm. like seeing like what was on the other side of the fence as far as career paths, uh, you know, the day school ended, I had a big steak dinner, went out with my wife, had a big steak dinner that night uh, out in Chicago. Yeah. And then the next day I hit my portfolio like a bat out of hell. Like I just was. And so it, I was going, uh, I was going breath, not depth. So yeah. I was taking any art related job I could get and it was like crappy graphic design job for um, like uh, car dealerships. Yeah. And then uh, you know, like a, I did a, like a, a DeVry university, like one of those for-profit colleges. I did a, uh, 
I did a uh, storyboard gig with them with a freelance company. And that was like two weeks of work. And I managed to like piece together rent enough money for rent, like barely for like three months. And uh, it was just enough that I could keep on doing it. And then I wasn't getting paid for this, but I was like, well, one of the things that one of the things I'm going to try and do, and I wasn't convinced that I could do it or break in, but I was like, I'm just going to try and show people that I can do comic books. I'm going to try and teach myself. Yeah. So that was space mullet where twice a week I'd do a comic book page and post it for free Yeah. and try and prove to the world that I could do it without getting paid for it. Uh, and then it wasn't until about like mid 2013 that I started getting noticed on the, some of the social media and p- some people were following space mullet. Yeah. And then I met a dark horse editor at, uh, at uh, C2E2 2013, yeah. who that was Dave Marshall, who gave me my gig at Eve Online in uh, November 2013. And then I remember somebody that took notice, Brandon, Brandon Graham took notice of my stuff and he offered me a prof, uh, backup story in like one of those profit comic books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was my first act. That was like my first actual uh, printed like uh, work, which was Very really cool. exciting. And uh, so like kind of one thing led to another. And then I had been talking with Donnie Cates a little bit in 20, like late 2013. I had reached out to him after reading uh, Buzzkill. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was so cool. I just emailed him to say hi and say, I think your work's awesome. And he yeah. checked out some of my work and we got, we connected and um, we were talking about maybe like pitching a new idea or doing something like that. And then uh, January 2014 rolled around and that's when the opportunity to work with Donnie on the ghost fleet came around. And I had literally been like doing, I'd been jumping from like job to job to job and doing like little random art things everywhere, scraping together just enough money to live. Yeah. A rent. And so so then I had like a shot at like, semi ongoing uh series with dark horse and i jumped on it yeah and uh that and it kind of became my full-time gig after that hell yeah that's really cool well, you know thank fun- you donnie yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um funny enough right after i read uh the next issue of the last issue of wonder woman dead earth i, I read his uh next issue with four um, awesome. yeah so nice synergy there um fun side story for uh fans of this podcast um i created my own comic uh, love the medium uh, love the right uh uh that's what i'm pursuing as being a writer and uh so i decided to make my own comic and i just reached out i just looked online there wasn't any conventions when i was at the time when i was trying to figure this out in my area so i was just online trying to find artists to maybe reach out to collaborate or whatever and i stumbled across space mullet and i actually reached out to you uh, oh no! Did I, you were, did I respond? No, you didn't. Not only did you respond, you were one of the few that responded. You were incredibly pleasant. Uh, okay. You were very nice. And what was funny about it was you were you were so nice. You were like, oh, unfortunately, I'm a little bit busy right now. And then I think a handful of months later, the announcement for Extremity came out, and I'm like, no kidding, you're busy. Uh, so uh, uh, it, it was really cool to like because because when I came across it, it was just this it was just this web comic, and it was cool to see. You know, I didn't I didn't know uh, about your work with. Don at that point and so seeing extremity and then going on a murder falcon and all that stuff was really exciting to see um but uh wanted to so ever since that ever since your work with donnie like space mullet a lot of your work has been primarily your writing and and you doing art as well um i have a question here from our discord sas 2884 does your writing inform your drawings or does your drawing inform your writing and i want to tweak that a little bit of how for you what does that process look like like the the coming up with something like murder falcon or like extremity do you do you like write out a script and then mail yourself the script and then as the artist look at the script and you're like no nah, i'm changing that i'm changing that i'm changing you know what i mean like how what does that process look like for you well, it's a little bit different when you're in the trenches with a story and you're like maybe working on issue three or four, uh, which is almost kind of easier because you're already in it and yeah. you have momentum from the previous issues kind of bleeding into what you're working on at the time. But when it comes to like making something literally from like nothing, uh, there has to be enough of a drive internally for me to desire to create something mm-hmm. Uh there's like, I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's like the artist thing, like the must create to try and answer or ask a question. Yeah, absolutely. That's maybe a little bit bigger than necessarily the genre fiction that you're stuffing that big question into. Mm-hmm. Um, uh-huh. That's never something that I like uh, actively. I'm not like going around at trying to ask 
big questions. I've just found that if things are too surface level for me, I get burned out and it's like, why am I actually doing this? Yeah. And uh, it has to have some sort of deeper meaning for me before I can really get excited to work on it. All that to say with murder Falcon, you know, if the, sometimes the concept just comes and it's awesome. Yeah. And like the idea is just there or the concept of the way that is the, the tone, but then finding the heart of the story mm-hmm. takes a really long time. Yeah. Um, I remember I'm working on a new series now. I can't say what it is, but for the, I had this idea for it and it was so cool. And I was like ready to rock and roll. And I'm, I'm at the, my iPad, um, at a like socially distanced patio, Yep. you know, yeah. <laughs> trying to like not worry about the world and like focus on my story. And, uh, I thought the story was going in one direction and I'm like fighting it. I'm like, no, nah, no, nah. it wasn't working. wasn't working. It was like, and I, if anybody were to walk by and look at me, it looks like I'm just goofing off. Cause I have a blank document in front of me on my iPad and I'm just staring into nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if that's if it's like that for you as a yeah. writer. Like, it's not actually that. It doesn't like take that many words to get the good idea down. It's yeah. just you have to like it has to be there in your head, and you know you can like try and fudge some stuff out. But if it's not working, at least for me, I just will write a few sentences, and I'm like, no, this isn't working. And yeah. you sit and you think. And I was thinking about this for like two and a half weeks. <clears throat> stressing because you know it's not like i pay my rent with this now <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so all that to say the initial creative energy is it feels almost impossible every time yeah and then as you kind of go into the process uh i will definitely i'll write a full script or so when i have the idea down i have the general arc and the characters what i'll do is I, i'll write a very sparse outline starting with a fairly detailed issue one, mm-hmm. uh, a little bit less detailed issue two, yeah. even less for issue three and less for issue four and so on until like the last issue of a series would be like one sentence. Mm-hmm. And it allows me to have an organic uh, dive in with the script and kind of change things on the fly if I need to. And I will write myself a full script. I won't break down any sort of panels, but the dialogue will be set gotcha. and the page turns will be solid. And then I'll take that uh, where I know the story makes sense and all of the information is there on the dialogue. So I know I'm not building on a house of sand when I start mapping out the artwork. Yeah. Um, and this is rare, but sometimes if I'm mapping out the artwork and I'm like, man, this is really isn't working for some reason, then I might shift things around with the script as I'm mapping out the artwork. Gotcha. It's, it's pretty rare, but um, it does happen sometimes. And uh, yeah. Absolutely. I, I like that. Uh, that way of working and and yeah also some there will be times where it's like i got the basic idea but then when it comes down to like making something solid out of it there's a lot of like my wife walked in i'd just be staring at a screen and it, and it's yep. like you know it, just because you're in your brain there's a lot of work going on in the brain but it hasn't made its way to the to the page yep. yet but when you talk about the the deeper meaning something i i like a lot about um extremity and and murder falcon and wonder woman dead earth is you know i think about it i, I was talking you know because obviously you know, we're doing this interview so i was talking to my wife a little bit about your work mm-hmm. um and uh so explain to her murder falcon and the basic and the basic premise and i was like if, if i just explain to you the basic premise it might sound silly but <laughs> what it's a about is this this idea of of loss and getting this band back together and and ultimately kind of a meditation on death and and what that means and for you and that's true of a lot of your work wonder woman dead earth the last issue just came as of this recording literally just came out this week um and uh you have an amazing kick-ass fight uh in the previous issue between wonder woman and superman uh you have wonder woman fighting monsters you have her fighting cheetah who's even grown even more monsters you have all that all this stuff a comic book fan would want Right, but with it, there's also this meditation on, you know, uh, environmental, you know, issues and and um, guilt. And f- for you, how does that? You you mentioned that that's kind of what makes it interesting interesting for you. But what is that? How does that dynamic work? But between having these like big bombastic ideas, but having deep personal a deep personal emotional core. Well, you know, some of the things that always moved me the most growing up were the things where I could laugh in one second. And then be like really feeling really emotional the next second yeah. in the context of a story or a song or, or a movie. 
uh, or comic, I'm thinking of Bone. Like I'd be yeah. like feeling really sad as something that happened to the characters, but then I'd laugh like the next page. Mm-hmm. And that kind of like weaving of narrative and making you feel things is just masterful. Thank you, yeah. Jeff Smith. <laughs> Another huge influence on my work. Yeah. Um, but uh, so, you know, one of the reasons that I love comic books is because they're just like really fun it's really yeah. fun to draw the things that i draw i love drawing monsters and and guns and mm-hmm. airplanes and and all that stuff i i really truly enjoy it um and i you know i remember when i was in college my i'm sorry i'm sure i've told this story on the internet somewhere else but uh my professor tim Lowley, he's an amazing painter at north yeah. park university uh, I, when I was in college, I loved drawing zombies and I was just like drawing zombies all the time. And, uh, I did a zombie for like my official self portrait because why not? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was really big into the walking dead. Yep. Uh, and, uh, he was like, it's fine if you do zombies, but what does it mean? I was like, because it's fun. Yeah. And he's like, that's not enough. It's not going to carry you through what you, as you get better. And as you grow as a person, like you need to have more than that. And so I part, you know, at the time I was like, yeah, yeah, okay. And then as I started growing as an artist, I realized like how true that was, at least for me, I just needed to have something deeper to go on, but it doesn't take away from the just joy it is to draw things like Mm -hmm. zombies. Um, Whereas, you know, I think that's something maybe somewhere like where my painting professor and I differ, right? Like, I feel like it's possible to have both to have the cake and eat it too, where uh, you can have those, those genre elements combining with the things that make you think and it's not something that is done i personally do not see i'm not saying that i'm good at this or that i do this a lot i just don't see it in genre fiction a ton Mm -hmm. like people really being honest with themselves on the page it takes something it takes a bit it takes like i don't know what the word is I guess, you know, you have this like section of comics, which is like almost very like, like indie comics. It's yeah. very open and like you're looking right into a person's heart yeah. and uh, it's really intense and it just, it has its own merit. Um, and I don't necessarily want that to translate into genre fiction and comics, but I like, I like it when there's honesty in genre fiction yeah. in a way that it's just, a, you can see that there's something really true there. It's pointing to something you don't know what, but it's like, it draws you in in that way. Yeah. But then you also have fun with it. And so there's that duality that I'm trying to achieve. And I think it might come off sometimes as a little like ham, hammy or like a little bit cheesy. Hmm. But, you know, if I had a good time making it and I feel good about it after it's done, which I can honestly say for the majority of my work, especially the stuff that I've written and drawn myself. I mean, I, I can't have I can't look backwards. Absolutely. And uh, I have not found any of your stuff cheesy, if that helps. Um, but talking about the, the stuff that you've written and drawn yourself, and um, you've created such a niche for yourself in that. Uh, there's such mm. a synergy between your writing and your art and everything. At this point, you know, obviously at the beginning of your career, you worked with Donnie um, in that, on that one comic. At this mm. point, would you, because I, and I also know there's a lot of artists that have kind of like segue off into just writing and don't really do art anymore. Uh, would you ever consider splitting those up or you're kind of like, no, nah, I just want to, you know, I, I think about uh, like um, directors that would only ever direct something they've written. You know what I mean? Would you mm-hmm. consider like writing something that somebody else does art for or vice versa, doing art for something that somebody else wrote? I would definitely consider writing for somebody else. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I I'm hesitant to jump into new things like that because the creative process for me is like kind of like a life drain in a sense. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I don't want to get too artsy fartsy with it, but yeah, like, it. it's like wringing a towel. It's just like, you're like, ugh, like, yeah. is there anything left in this tank? Um, so I, I feel like I don't have the kind of like fountain of ideas that maybe a lot of other writers might have. Mm. Um, Cause it like, I don't know why it's just the way I am as a creator. And I, I'm also very bad at, uh, at compartmentalizing my projects, mm. uh, working on two things at the same time is something I'm very, very bad at. Yeah. Um, so I am interested in it, uh, in writing for someone else. Uh, but it just, things for whatever reason have not necessarily worked out in that way. Yeah. And, and as far as drawing for somebody else, 
you know, as far as when it comes to like the world of comics, I don't until if it came down to the point where I needed a job mm-hmm. and somebody offered me a job doing that, yeah, I could make money for my family. Hundred percent, I'm there and I'll do it happily. Absolutely. But, I, I do I am in a privileged position now where I'm able to kind of pick and choose my projects yeah. that I write and draw. And it's one of the reasons that I went with Skybound is that they were going to give me a chance on my own book mm-hmm. and start trying to prove to the American comic book market that I could do this yeah. uh, by myself. And that when people hear the name, they immediately think of a writer artist or a creator, yeah. a cartoonist, whatever you want to call it, and not one of the other. Um, because I, I had gotten quite a few offers from some great writers who I really admire and respect, yeah. uh, and they're all stars, you know, and I knew coming in, you have this big B-52 jet and this tiny little artist next to them. <laughs> and, you know, it's not, it's no, not their fault. Yeah. You know, they're, they're just, they're rocking writers. And, um, yeah. I just, I was seeing what was happening and I just seeing what ha- was happening in the industry. And it's not a good or bad thing. I'm not like making a statement. It's just like writers are able to do more work. Yeah. They're able to sometimes make more money. And uh, I was also seeing artists that were kind of like burning out with just working on other people's projects. Yeah. And also you're kind of beholden as like a freelancer. You're beholden when you're beholden to other people to write a story. It just limits your options. Yeah. Um, so that's one of the many reasons why I've chosen this path and why I'm planning to stick with it as far as it will take me. Absolutely. That makes a ton of sense. Going back to, um, murder Falcon. Um, uh, I have a question here from, um, uh, Danny M. Uh, while working on murder Falcon, how did you come up with the playlist for all the songs in the comic? And, uh, what are some of your favorite Easter eggs that you put in the murder, murder Falcon book? Yeah. Um, so I was mostly, I picked songs that I was like playing when I was writing the script. Yep. Um, so I, there's a fair amount of instrumental stuff on there. Like I, I'm, I listened to a ton of Vinnie Moore when I was writing Murder Falcon, which is just like whittly, whittly, like no words, just like so many notes, yeah. an obnoxious amount of notes. Uh, thank you, Vinnie. Uh, so uh, that was mostly a uh, it was it was like a reflection on the music that I was really jiving to as I was creating Murder Falcon. And even before I was writing it, you know, like especially with some of the Racer X stuff and the Paul Gilbert music, yeah. uh, who's one of my favorite guitarists, you know, I, I I would be like running on a treadmill or just like working in other stuff or doing my life and listening to these songs before Murder Falcon had been made and knowing that like, man, if I could figure out a way to get this exciting feeling I have when I listen to this kind of music into a comic book, yeah. I got to go for it. And yeah. then murder Falcon came through and it was happening. And, um, that just, that, then I was, I took those songs and I just planted them right into the playlist. Love it. I love it. Were there any, um, as far as like Easter eggs go to like different, uh, you know, music and metal and all that stuff, were there any like nice little Easter eggs that you, that you're particularly proud of? Well, uh, I mean, it's not really an Easter egg because I just say it out loud, but I always, <laughs> Like the the one of the when I was growing up, Saint Anger was like everybody was talking about it, and uh, you know I, there was somebody who was like talking about my comic on a podcast that I was listening to, and mm-hmm. he's like he's like and then and then Daniel Warren Johnson gave like gave a lot of shade on Saint Anger, which is just so such like low hanging fruit. <laughs> I was like, but I love Saint Anger. Yeah. Well, there guys are, yeah, there are two guys arguing about it. Yeah. Um, you know, I love that snare sound. It's just incredible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's bold. Um, but uh, so there, there's an Easter egg with Metallica. Yeah. Uh, there's a power trip patch uh, somewhere, a power trip shirt, a band that I love. Hello, Riley. Uh, let's see. There's one of my favorite doom metal bands, Chemist. Uh, somebody has a, uh, Johan has a Chemist patch on the back of his, uh, his, uh jacket yeah yeah yeah. um one of my best friends uh owns a bass that looks very similar to johan's bass it's based on a uh, pun not intended on a uh sandberg 48 it's a like very uh limited run special handmade uh bass that they make in germany yeah um 
and it's very cool. Uh, and then the guitar that uh, Jake plays is based off one of my guitars, which is a, a Jackson soloist, which guitar nerds get ready. Uh, <laughs> it's like uh, it was developed uh, in the late 80s and it has a neck through design. So the neck, there's a piece of wood that's the neck and it goes all the way through to the base of the guitar. Mm -hmm. And then there's two other pieces of wood which make the horns. Yeah. Um, and so you call it like neck through and uh, it just sounds amazing. It was one of, it was like a, like my first like big guitar purchase ever. And I had gone through a lot of health stuff before then. So it was kind of like my, like, I'm going to make it through this health stuff and I'm going to get this guitar. And my wife said it was okay. Yep. <laughs> um, so uh, there's that. And then um, one of the statues that uh, sometimes people ask me about in the graveyard, when they try and when they're like going into the grave section, mm -hmm. uh, the characters in issue five, yeah. that's Chuck Schuldner from the band of death. Uh, oh. as a, a death metal band early 90s he passed away sadly in the late 90s from a, a brain tumor i believe Jeez. but his music is fantastic and um he had uh he had like one of those like cool shaped guitars and so that's that, that that's a statue of him very cool now i also yeah. gotta ask you um i think literally the second i cracked open murder falcon one i was like i want a murder falcon action figure like i need it are there any is there any chance of that happening is there somebody i can write is there a petition i can start and who do i send it to i've talked with uh so one of the one of the business guys over at skybound uh is a huge action figure guy yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, he also loves statues and like the, that kind of vibe we've talked about it a little bit maybe doing a direct to direct to maybe a kickstarter but it just nothing's really happened mm -hmm. um i'll you never say never yeah, yeah yeah i mean i want one yep uh i'd kill for one uh <laughs> it's just like just want maybe just give me the prototype and yeah, then let's exactly. not even do it just yeah, give yeah, it to yeah, me yeah. just well let's you know what let's put up the prototype let me look at it yeah this is pretty cool i'll keep a hold of this you yeah. let me know if anything I'll happens with it. I'll just, but i'll just keep a hold on it just for like safekeeping don't don't you worry about it yeah. Uh, uh, here's hoping. Uh, let's see if we can make that happen. Uh, and I got to ask you for, you know, uh, the journey you've had going from being a teacher to where you are now. For anybody out there that might be looking to pursue art or pursue work in an artistic profession, do you have any advice for those people? Yeah. Um, it's, I think it, one thing that happens is uh, in the, uh, the, the uh, struggle to achieve betterment in your craft can be a very discouraging process. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so uh, I felt the same way when I was starting out, especially like when I quit my job as a teacher and like I was seeing all these amazing artists around me and like, I'm not that good yet. I got to get better. And it's almost like the deeper you get into it, you realize just how in over you he your head you really are. Yeah. Uh, and you're feeling even less worthy of being able to do stuff. So uh, one thing that is really difficult for all of us that are trying to do something when it's not our full-time job is devote enough time to that thing to become a master at it. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, one thing that I get down about not really, I don't, I can't play guitar as well as I want to. Mm -hmm. um, and you see, like I go on Instagram and I just see these like 17, 15, 17 year olds just going <laughs> like this yeah. is crazy. It's yeah. insane. It makes me very anxious. Uh, but you know, and, and, or like just pros like music, like shredders that are just like so amazing at their craft. And I'm like, why can't I do that? And uh, I forget that, just like I am sitting and drawing at the drawing board for eight hours a day, they are sitting for however many hours a day practicing to a metronome. That is their main gig. That's, the, that's yep. what they do. Um, so there's a few things that come along with that. When it comes to like, I think the same thing applies for those who are maybe trying to work on comics or get into comics. There's a reason that you started, uh, trying to get into comics because you love making them and yeah. they're really fun. And you have something that you feel like you have to say, or that you want to say that you feel like the world would be better to hear it. Um, but at the end of the day, it is about the love that you have for that craft. Yeah. And 
I can only relate it in terms of me, but like when I play the guitar, I, it, it's like kind of like a healing process for me. It's a, it's something that puts me at ease. It's really special and I love it so much. And I have to be at peace with the amount of time that I am able to devote to it and find goals within the context of how much time I am able to find for it. Um, and the same thing applies to art. If you have so many hours, so many hours to do something, or if you have to go to work the next day or whatever, you need to find goals mm -hmm. that are within the range of attainability for you to get better in smaller increments. And, you know, not everybody's able to quit their job. I totally understand that. Uh, I was in a really privileged position. I had an amazing wife. I have an amazing wife who, you know, paved that way for me. Um, and not everybody has that, but I think it's still possible to get better. It's just your goals are different and you have to, constantly be in uh, a state of mind where you're acknowledging this is not my full-time job, mm -hmm. but I'm still going to get better at it. It's just going to look different and I'm going to play to my strengths. And just because I can't draw like this person or just because I can't do a certain thing or write a certain thing like somebody else, I'm going to write it my way. And the more that you do that, the more that you set these attainable goals within that context, you're going to find how to become a better artist just for yourself and based on your own person, not based on some sort of other rubric that the world has set up in comics or whatever. Yeah. And then when you present your, when you, when, if you finally present yourself as a creator to the world, I feel like that will shine better, the bright, brighter. I don't know what the word is, but uh, yeah. Does that make, does that, I don't know. Is it that does. dumb? No, that's not dumb at all. And I think the main thing I get out of that and a lot of what you've said here is kind of finding your own, you know, rhythm. Like you mentioned some of the artists that influenced you, but, but your work isn't quite like theirs. It's just they influenced your work and something that's, you know, um, at the beginning of the year, I think I've said this on the air at the beginning of the year, I was, I was looking at crowdfunding a feature film that I'd written. Um, and of course with everything that was going on, the, the possibility of filming it, it just, it wasn't going to happen. Yep. And when you're going through, like, this was going to be, I'd done a bunch of shorts, but this was going to be my first movie, all that stuff. And so I was looking at people, I was looking at, at uh, first films that I admired, filmmakers that I admired. And a lot of them were talking about, like, well, this is the way you do it. And, but they're all talking about different things. And what you realize, what they're saying is, this is how I did it. This is yeah. what worked for me. Yeah. Um, and so it's a lot about finding your own rhythm, finding your own way of doing things. Like when you're talking about, you know, scribbling that that's your even though that might not be how other artists do it um that's what works for you and finding that mechanism or finding that way of doing things that allows you to do it in a similar way i associate it to working out um you, you have to like you, you you have to find a way that gets you to work out you have to find that way that gets you to do it um yep. and, and it might be different for everybody um, but once you find a system that works for you, that, that gets you the results that you want and you stick with it and you pursue it. Uh, and I think that's, that's important. You know, when people are telling you like, well, this is how you do it. I like that you were able to contextualize it in a way that's like, well, this is what worked for me. This is what I recommend. And part of that is you finding your own thing, finding, finding yeah. that pattern that works for yeah. you. Uh, before I let you go, I do want, since this was the book that just came out, we spent a lot of time talking about Murder Falcon yeah. and stuff. Oh Wonder, yeah, totally. Uh, Wonder Woman, Dead Earth. Um, last issue just dropped. Uh, it was great. I, for me, it's up there with, it's cool that I think DC's Trinity each has their own, like, what is it like, like Twilight, like kind of the, the end of the road for them. Like I, I, uh, I think it's like Dark Knight Returns, All-Star Superman, and now Wonder Woman has Dead Earth. Was that, <laughs> was that, one, of, like, was that one of the reasons you decided to go with uh, telling a Wonder Woman story? Was kind of like maybe a little bit more room to maneuver? Uh, yes. I mean, it was more along the lines of like I had read those books that you just men yeah. mentioned. And they've been such a huge part of my life. And uh, Superman, uh, All-Star Superman, one of my favorite books of all time, Amazing. Saving the Dark Knight. Uh, you know, I didn't really feel like I could touch those. Like, mm -hmm. I, not like I'm trying to best anybody. Yeah. I just like, what do I have to bring to the table that Absolutely. is going to, you know, I didn't feel like I had any juice to get there. Uh, and this is just me personally. I just had never really gotten excited about Wonder Woman before. Like, and there's in, as far as I could tell, there are some runs that are kind that are like lauded as like the Wonder Woman stuff, but there was not like a mini series 
that like kind of took Wonder Woman's essence and maybe packaged it in a new way that maybe new readers could get on board or maybe readers that are like more into like, like just the visual presentation of Wonder Woman has just never gotten me excited. It's just, that's just how I've always felt. And I've never felt an urge to pull a Wonder Woman comic off the shelf. Yeah. That's the case with a lot of superhero comics, but especially Wonder Woman. So it was kind of like this challenge. I was like, man, I don't really, could I make a Wonder Woman comic that I'd get excited about? Yeah. And the more that I did research on her character, I was like, I really like what this character is bringing to the table as far as her vibe and her morals and the way she looks at the world. That's so different from Superman and Batman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in a really unique way. And I was like, and I felt like in, kind of the DC structure and like the DC media across the, you know, their whole brand. I saw like Wonder Woman kind of like getting like uh, uh, bronze medaled for lack of a better word. Yeah. So it was like, you know, for the very beginning, I was like, Batman, he's dead. (laughs) (laughs) Superman, he's dead. You know, no one's going to help you. It's, It's Wonder Woman on her own and her pushing through it and, 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 and having a story where there's no other hero uh, to help her through. Yeah. And she's learning these really hard lessons that uh, we as people need to learn. So yep. I was uh, trying to channel that. And, uh, you know, it's funny that you mentioned like Dead Earth in the <laughs> in those two titles. Because they're like some of my favorite comics ever. Yeah. It's a very high compliment. Well, it's something they, they, they kind of like... they. One, they're they're kind of like the quintessential, like you're talking about, like kind of the quintessential versions of those characters. But they also, yeah. in their own way, kind of focus on. You want to say the Twilight Years, but that that only really feels accurate with Batman because he's old in, in Dark Knight. Right. Superman and Wonder Woman don't really get old, but you know, All Star Superman is kind of dealing with him, he's getting ready yep. to die, and yep. uh, and Dead Earth is so they. It, for for me, I would put those books on the shelf together. And if you're and people were kind of wondering as like a weirdly, even though they're again they're kind of dealing with the back end of these characters' lives, it's like well, if you kind of want to get what this character is about, check this yeah. out. Um, yeah. When it came to, we did get a question in the chat from Danny M. Uh, how much mm. direction did you get from DC on Dead Earth? Were they kind of like hands off, or they're like, "Hey, here's what you here's what you can't do." I don't imagine that you didn't get a lot of that because spoilers. Uh, Wonder Woman uses Superman's spine and skull as like a mace, so I don't. I feel like <laughs> I feel like they weren't too too picky about stuff. Well, one thing they did say before I wrote a sentence is they were like, uh, "No sex." Okay. Like, and uh they're like we got so much we got so much about seeing batman's dick and and damned it's like no black label book that's basically why you know i was like well i thought it was like but i saw like i'm like this guy who makes sex scenes in his comics really uh you're like but now that you say it now you say that i can't now i want to to do it yeah (laughs) uh but i was like because i was gonna have a um like a a eastern promises style fight scene (laughs) in uh in dead earth yeah 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 I love I that fight that scene. Been, that's a it's oh, an amazing it's awesome. scene. Yeah, it's really cool. Like not sexual at all. It's no, just like badass. Well, and again, like with that, it's the the uh, the nudity is just the vulnerability of that character. And then yeah. and then when he when he successfully takes out his attack, you're like, oh my god, this guy yeah. is such a he's such a badass. Yeah. Um. So, but so, yeah. So before I got any, I didn't had not written a sentence. So like, please stay away from the sex stuff. And I was like, well, okay, that's not really any skin off my nose. Yeah. Um. So that was that was that was one thing when I started, and then when I initially did the story, the first round, um, I had like a lot of the human characters were going to be offspring of the Wayne family of like okay. Bruce Wayne. So like the the line of Batman will have kind of, uh. Uh, gone through the centuries and you know and uh this was a note that was more of a logistical thing they were afraid there were too many post-apocalyptic batman things happening (laughs) in the black label and regular dc world so they asked me to kind of snip that and so it actually was great because it uh it kind of cut out batman even more yeah uh which i think did this story well um and you know other than that really no no pushback on anything there was a panel in issue three where wonder woman punches superman through the chest yep there sure is yeah and it's you notice that it's basically a silhouette Mm -hmm. and uh the original drawing of that is uh you can see it on my art reps website oh check Uh, that out it takes a little while to scroll through because Mm -hmm. uh you know i didn't really want to post it on social media uh but um 
it's wonder it's a side shot a wonder woman it's just a fully illustrated gory rendition of wonder woman's hand going straight through like like total invincible vibe yeah. you know blood everywhere and uh they dc was like afraid i guess that like a website was going to pick it up and be like wonder woman kills superman yeah but that's what happens you yeah, know? yeah yeah it, yeah All press is good press and, exactly. and they're like no 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 we don't want that you know she's on lunch boxes and um it's so it's, it's interesting it's funny to me that that's like what they like were kind of pushing back on and not the bone flail. <laughs> yeah. Cause I'm that, very the, thankful for it. It was funny. Cause when I was telling my wife about it, that was the, that was the part she was like, wait, she uses Superman's spinous. So I was like, yeah, it's dope. It's, it's all. And I'm a hardcore Super, Superman's my guy. Uh, so, and I'm way into it. Uh, it's funny when you talk about the silhouette of the death, it makes me think about in kill bill volume one, there's the one thing where it all, all of a sudden it becomes black and white. Yep. Uh, and it's like, well, I have to go online to find the color version. <laughs> You know what I mean? Um, so go check that out. Uh, yeah, and I also like um, props to you for um, I like that Batman in issue four. I guess spoilers for issue four. Go pick up Wonder Woman Dead Earth. Um, that I like that Batman's end is just he's just sitting there. You take it's not a big epic. We're gonna take everybody. It's just like we're done. We're done. We radiation poison is gonna take me out. So I guess yeah, it's, it's done. Yeah, just pour me pour me a last drink and go out. Oh, I love it. Thing. Uh, it was gonna be whiskey and then. Uh, DC was worried because Batman was uh, drinking alcohol. Wait, I guess Batman. So what? Batman can't. I thought it was out. So what was it? I just assumed it was alcohol. What did you? Well, my editor Andy yeah. was awesome. He was like, "Guys, this is not a good edit. This is a bad edit." Okay. <laughs> like we don't need to do this. Like Batman drinking a glass of whiskey is okay. In yeah. Black Label. I think and, in every single Batman movie, he's got some sort of. I think in Batman yeah. v Superman, he's got a drinking problem. <laughs> yeah, it's like. Well, whatever, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the, the corporation is its own. It monster. sure is. So the next but, thing. So, but my my it was originally that it was whiskey colored, and so my editor was like, "We'll make it clear colored, yeah, and we'll pretend it's vodka, but there we'll tell go. them it's water." There we go. I <laughs> and love it. That, that, that flew. So I love that edit. So you you were talking about the next thing, and I know you can't dive into it. Is that another? Is that based on pre existing property, or is this is this a wholly creator owned project? Or, or can you even not say that? I, I I I have to keep it closer to, close to my chest for now. Okay, I'm all right. I'm so sorry. No, that's I just, totally I, I don't, okay. I don't know what like I don't know what I'm allowed to say. That's... I'll tell you off the air. Yeah. Okay. Cool. 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 Well, that's all I have for you. Before you go, um, where can people find your stuff? Where can people find you online? Uh, and what yeah. should they check out? So I have a YouTube channel. If you just Google Daniel Warren Johnson YouTube, you'll find me. Uh, there I do like some process stuff. Some pseudo lessons i'm doing these like uh portfolio reviews for san diego comic-con that i should have been done with by now but i've been busy so i mean there's a uh, pandemic so doing that yeah there's a, pa- there's a pandemic yeah. people are, people can forgive you for that uh and that's gonna be a regular thing where i kind of like go with people in their portfolios and try and break down what i think is working what is not working so yeah. uh we're doing that and then uh you know you just google my name you'll you'll find my stuff i mean that's why i have those three uh, Daniel Warren Johnson. It's uh, it's because there's so many Daniel Johnsons in the world. I had to do all my full names. So yep. you Google the whole name, you'll find me. There you go. So go check out that. Go check out his YouTube channel. Go pick up Wonder Woman Dead Earth if you haven't, and Murder Falcon and Extremity. I can't re- recommend them enough. Uh, Space Mullet is collected too, right? You can find that in stores. It is. Yeah. yeah. So all of the stuff, you can find it. Go check it out. Highly recommend it. Uh, you can follow me at DJ Talks Trash. If you want to watch these interviews live, you can do that at patreon.com slash only stupid answers. And you can follow us at only stupid answers on Twitter. You want to yank the vowels out of stupid. Uh, that's it. Uh, be sure to uh, follow Daniel. Say hey. And we'll see you all next time. Bye-bye. See you, everybody.